For our text this evening, we will be in Luke 22, Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Before we read the text, we will. Our first one, I first want to speak on the Christian walk. The Christian walk, when a, when a Christian comes into reconciliation, being reconciled to God by Christ, God Almighty implants into us grace whereby we walk with Him. We no longer are under the dominion of sin, but we are those that are moved now by him, by his word. He speaks to us through his word. We now have a, a spirit of grace in us that prompts us and pulls us to holiness and to walking in his ways automatically. In the Christian walk, in the daily walk, we are those that... Though we are no longer encumbered under the dominion of sin, we have the war against the flesh and, and we are warring in our members, as it says in Romans. We are also a people that God has so moved in us that no, we are no longer given to those outward things, but we start seeing the deceitfulness of our own heart. We start putting... Though we have been brought in a union and fellowship with the Lord, we are those that at points and participles in our life, we still put hope in ourselves. We are a people that our hearts are deceitful. And we need to make sure that we are purging ourselves from hope and self and looking by faith to Christ. Faith in principle is a disintegrating of self, disintegrating all hope in self, and resting wholly upon the Lord as Savior and Lord. When a person comes to him, they come in the same way as the Christian life is worked out. By faith looking to Christ, by faith casting their hope upon him, by faith continually looking to him. But there has to be a working out. And there has to be a working out in the disciples of Christ. And there has to be a working out in us. Of a freeing ourselves from hope in Ben. Freeing ourselves from hope in Nate. Freeing ourselves from hope in anyone else. Even husbands looking to their wives. And wives looking to their husbands. Though that is a good thing, there are some things in the Christian life that we cannot, I cannot walk through for Nate. I cannot walk through for Tracy. I cannot walk through for Alex. We all have our own walk. Even wives and husbands, you have your own consecration to the Lord. And in this text, we are going to see tonight a man who was converted years prior, who looked to the Lord years prior, who was in this ministry of being taught by the Lord, Peter and his disciples, and Christ's disciples. 
They're taught by the Lord. They walked with him for three years. They seen his miracles. They even had power to subdue devils by the Lord's name. Yet at the same time, same time, they had to have a working out, a putting to death of self, putting no confidence in the flesh, putting no confidence in their own means. And being fully disintegrated of hope and self. And we'll see that in this text. We'll see that in, in where Paul was previously speaking of uh, Peter's denial. And you guys know the context this is in. But I'm going to bring us up to the context when I start to make sure that you see this in the text. But brothers and sisters, in every single one of us, in my own life personally, there is a working out of faith that has to happen. There's a working out in your life of being fully given over to the Lord and be fully casting ourselves upon Him. But it comes through us failing. It comes through us seeing ourselves as if we do not have Christ very near, we will utterly fail. And knowing that, knowing it, Let's go to the text. Luke 22, 31 through 34. <clears throat> Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for all that you do for us. Father, I pray that you show us this evening to put no confidence in the flesh, but to trust solely in you. I pray that even tonight, for me, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, we would know that just apprehending in the mind is different than apprehending in the life. Father, help us to walk in your ways and in your statutes. Teach us. Lord, as we already sung, Teach us, O oh Lord. We come to you to receive from you, from your holy word. 
Father, help us, we plead in Christ's name. Amen. In context, bringing us up to the point that where, where I first started reading, we see first Christ's compassion. We see in, in the point where Christ is showing unto them that he is going to be betrayed and that he is going to be given over to the Pharisees. He's going to be given over to the scribes. He's going to be given over to be betrayed by one of his own, as we heard this morning. We see the disciples begin to question one another, which of them was going to do this. And then immediately after it, we see a dispute also arose among them in verse 24 as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. So we go from them wondering if it was their own, if it was going to be them, to seeing about who is the greatest. And Christ in compassion shows his disciples. He doesn't rail at them. He doesn't come down on them hard. But he shows them by a picture that the kingdom of God is one that it is those who serve. It is those who lay themselves down for the brothers. It is those who serves the other is the one who is greater. And he doesn't show them, he doesn't rail on them and tell them that they need to not do this. But he immediately goes to, in verse 28, he says, he commends them. He says, you are those who stayed with me in my trials. He said, first of all, don't do as the Gentiles. But also, you are one who's been with me in my afflictions. When people have walked away, you are the ones who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. They have heard his prayers for them. They have seen their Lord go to the secret place and pray for them. Yet our Lord, in compassion, commends them. Before he gets to this part, he commends them and says, You have been with me. You have been faithful. You have been those that have come alongside of me. And he said, And I assign to you. He not only stops there. He said, And I assign unto you a kingdom. As my father has assigned to me a kingdom, you will drink and you will rule and reign in my kingdom. So we see our Lord is very compassionate, very one who comes alongside his people and one who knows the feeling of their infirmities and knows his disciples are weak. He knows that they desire him. That he knows that they want to go with him and that he knows that they want to go up with him when he is betrayed. I even think in our midst, if someone came in tonight, and said, as we will soon see, who here is a follower of Jesus Christ holding a gun? I believe there would be men and some women some men and some women that would stand up and say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And would die for him.
But in the text, we see in the text that our Lord is commending them, that our Lord is saying that you've been alongside of me, but then immediately he goes, the Lord says, you've been with me, I have these things planned for you, I have these things set up for you, but then he's, he comes with a word, a sobering word. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. The first words in the text is, Simon, Simon. This is something in the Gospels, something when the Lord addresses Simon. In all the places I looked and I studied this out, Simon, Simon, when he called Simon by Simon and not Peter, it was always in compassion to teach him. It was always him showing, I'm going to show you something here. You need to pay attention. You need to listen. Simon, Simon. And he said, behold, take notice. Satan demanded to have you. Satan in this, Satan means our adversary and the accuser of the brethren. It says Satan demanded to have you. Satan, Satan demanded you for trial. He begged of God. This is in the second place. That Satan has demanded you and begged of God for trial to try you. That he may sift you like wheat. In this text, it's saying, it's not saying that he's sifting between the wheat and the tares. As the Lord talks of in the uh, parables. Of the winnowing of the fork and the, the wheat settling and the tares being blown off. But this is Satan demanding to have them, or demanding for trial to have them. He's wanting to prove that the wheat is hypocritical. He's wanting to prove to all the disciples that they, he's wanting to, he's come before the Lord and to beg of the Lord to prove them not wheat, but hypocritical wheat. We see in this text, we see that Satan has to come to the Lord to do anything to us. We see in this text also, in, in verse 31, we see Satan had demanded to have you. That you in, 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 in the word is plural. As you look in the bottom of your Bibles, it says the Greek word for you, twice in this verse, is plural is the plural form of you. He's saying Satan has desired, he's not, he's already has Judas Iscariot, but he desires all of you. And he not only desires the disciples of Jesus Christ, but he desires all those that have came alongside. And he says that he might sift you as you eat. He might bring affliction in your life to prove you hypocritical. We have a great picture and showing of this in Job. When Satan came before the Lord and he says, I have went throughout the whole earth, up and down all over the earth. The Lord asked him where he's been. And he knew where he was, but he wanted him to tell him. And he said, have you tried my servant Job? In his trying of his servant Job, in the first trial, he said, you can touch all these things. 
He's one who fears God. He's one who eschews evil. He's one who offers unto me offerings even for his own children. A father that cared for his family. And he says, you can have everything he has. Touch that and see if he stays upright. So what does Satan do? Satan, Satan before that, he, he is before the Lord. He is begging of God. He's demanding for trial that the only reason that Job trusts the Lord is because of the things that God gives him. So God says, Give, you can have the things. So he tries them and he distinguishes all of his family. All of his children are die. All of his things are gone. And then Satan comes to him the second time. And Satan says to the Lord, the Lord says to Satan, where have you been? He said, I have gone up and down throughout the entire earth. And then he, he says to him, have you tried my servant, Job? Have you looked upon him? He says he not only eschews evil, he not only fears God, but he has upheld his integrity. He said, Satan, you thought you had him. You thought you could sift my people and they would go your way and they would deny me and they would look from me. He says, skin for skin. If I take a man's skin, if I take his flesh, if I take his livelihood, then he'll deny you. This is the sifting of, the, of Satan himself. The one that brings railing accusations against his people. Christ is saying, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. That he might purge you. He might show you to be hypocrites. But what happens there in Job's life? Job goes through, he, he, his, his sores are all over his body, and he's scraping his body, and his wife says, curse him. Curse him. The Lord's given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then, the Lord, and then Job goes through all the trials and all the afflictions of his friends yeah. coming to him. And he keeps on pleading in his innocence, pleading his innocence, pleading his innocence before his friends. Yet, his faith and all that he does, he's proven and sifted. And in the end, we know Job as a man who prayed, as a man who received everything back. He was sifted like wheat. And the Lord here is using that same analogy, that same thing to say to his disciples and to say to us, all them that follow after the disciples, that Satan will sift you like wheat. Satan's demanded. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the accuser of us. And he wants us. He wants to prove us hypocritical. He wants to prove you hypocritical in your work. He wants to prove your life. But the great, the great consolation that we have is that Christ has prayed for us. <coughs> 
We see in the next text, we see that, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. We see this in John 17. The Lord's intercessory prayer. In verse 9, he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then in verse 15, it says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through their truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified through thy truth. The, the, the disciples and the apostles were alongside of the Lord and they heard this prayer. They knew the Lord prayed for them and that their faith would not fail. Because the Lord had supplicated before that, because our Lord had supplicated before the Father for them. We see in this word, in this text, we see Luke, who wrote this, through all the other evangelists in the Gospels, don't use the word that Luke uses here. He says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The word prayed there is supplicated to plead, to plead alongside. This is a word that means that God has, he, Christ is saying to him, I have went on your behalf to the Lord. I have been one who has been filled with your infirmities. I am one who knows you, and I have prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brethren. In verse 31, we see that the Lord is concerned about all the disciples. But in verse 32, we see the Lord's concern about Peter. In this text, as in the other, in the four instances, in verse 32, it says, are singular in the Greek. So he was saying, as I have addressed you, and they all heard in verse 31, as I have addressed you as being the leader and including all in, so now I address you, Peter, because you're the one who's going to be tried. And I have prayed for you personally that you will not fail, that your faith may not fail, that your faith may not utterly come to nothing. It's not that he wasn't going to fall. It's not that he wasn't going to commit the sin of denying his Lord. But in the end, as it says in the next part of verse 32, and when you are turned again, 
strengthen your brothers. When you have repented, every Christian, every person that has walked with the Lord, and when they're going after the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they make blunders. We make blunders. But he says, when you see that your blunder has happened, and you turn from them, and you turn back to me, strengthen your brothers. Do we not see this in Peter's life? Do we not see this in him, though he has denied his, though he will deny his Lord? We see the compassion of our Lord saying that though you deny me, when I'm not done with you. I'm not done with what you have, what I have for you. I'm going to work out in you, and you are going to be one who, set, who grounds and settles my people in faith. You're going to be one who I'm going to use to bring in thousands into the kingdom of heaven. You have work to do. Though you're going to turn away, and you're going to be a fulfillment of the prophecy, though it is a fulfillment of the prophecy, it's still a grievous sin and error. But when you turn back to me and you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Know all the more diligence to seek my face and to bring others to seek my face with you and to seek righteousness and to come after me. We can see in the epistles of Peter all the more diligence that he has to stir his brothers up. In the light affliction, he looks at the light affliction and he's dealing with a church that is being persecuted. And yet he says, it is a light affliction which is but for a moment. <coughs> but what we see here though, I don't want to hop too far ahead, but what we see here though is that the Lord is, though he's, he knows his apostles, he knows his disciples are going to turn and going to deny him. He has such compassion. He says, I'm using, I'm going to use you. You might utterly fail, but in your failure, I'm going to make you a man of God. I'm going to make you a man that knows me. And I'm going to make you a man that knows how to walk in my way. And not a man that just knows things, but knows what it is to consecrate himself wholly to the Lord and have no confidence in the flesh. We see in his epistles such a desire for the encouragement of the brothers the lifting up, the holding people fast to the word of God, to have them strive. He says, I always strive. Every single time I write you, I strive to stir you up to these matters, to see the fullness of Christ. Though he fell, brothers and sisters, though Simon Peter fell, Though he denied his Lord, and it's a grievous sin, I am not putting aside the sin of Simon Peter. Those that the Lord has plans, and those that truly seek the Lord, they're going to make blunders. We have all made blunders. We have all made blunders. We don't strive for blunders. We strive for conformity to Christ. We strive for conformity to the word of God. But we go too high here and too low here. We are those who are reactionary in our doctrine rather than putting forth the full counsel of God's word. And we can make these blunders. But the thing is, the Lord is not done. The Lord is not done. 
He says, when you have turned again, strengthen, build up, fix your brothers. As you, I've, I've just called you Simon, Simon, in love and affection and compassion. Strengthen your brothers. In John 21, we see our Lord on the edge of the sea, cooking fish and bread. And they know it is the Lord, and Peter goes and sees him, and they all come up and they have him, and he walks off with Peter. Because he knows Peter wept bitterly. The Lord, as it says in Luke, it says he, look, he, is, he saw his eye, or maybe in Mark, he saw his eye, and the Lord looked to him, and he glared at him, and the third time that he denied his Lord, he looked at him, and he glared at him, and then he wept bitterly, and it says he went out and he wept bitterly. And he comes to him, not only, he comes to him in that time, and he says, Simon, as I said before, the compassion, every single time that the Lord has dealt compassionately, you can look it up in, in the Bible, in, in your concordance, every single time he deals with him, it's Simon. It's a dealing in compassion. He says, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more than the other disciples? And he says, Lord, you know. And he brings him to an understanding. That his repentance was sure. And that he was Christ. And he said, feed my sheep. So he's not only here before the denial, before it comes to pass. He says, you are going to go through this trial. You're going to go through this affliction. And you will fail. But I'm not done with you. And he comes to him after he has ascended and as he, after he has arose from the dead and he says, Simon, feed my sheep. His, his, his commission to Simon Peter didn't change. It stayed the same. It stayed the same from even from him knowing he was going to deny. After he denied, after he arose again, he didn't put him away. He put him up. And he said, this is one I love. And I'm going to use him. The one who denied me is going to point the finger at all Jerusalem and say, the Christ that you denied, his, him, he has been raised. He's, he, in his preaching at Pentecost, said, you denied him, though he knew he denied him. But he didn't deny him unto death. He denied him, and he was brought to repentance and unto life in Christ. <laughs> And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. We see here man's immediate tendency. Peter had confidence in himself still. And this is the point. Peter had confidence in himself. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you. 
me personally, I'm ready to go with you. And in the other Gospels, it says they all said the same thing. He said, I'm ready to go with you. He had confidence in himself. All hope wasn't in the Lord. He said, I'm willing to die for you, but I'm not willing to not deny you. A woman said, you're a Galilean. He said, I'm willing to die, but I'm not willing to face that woman honestly. And we know the story as it goes. What my purpose and my point, and what I believe the Lord has availed and shown me. One, the compassion of our Lord, the faithfulness of our Lord to pray for us individually, as he prayed for us in John 17. He not only prayed for the disciples, but he prayed for all those that come after him, that they'd be faithful. <clears throat> But we also see our initial response when we are tried and we are tested is Lord I when it should be Lord you. Amen. My question this evening. Satan's desire is for us. Are you being diligent? Are you seeking the Lord faithfully? And are you being freed from yourself? Freed from hope and self? Freed from the power of the flesh? Because if you are, you might make some blunders. But know there's compassion in our Lord to come after you and bring you in the right way. Amen. And he's not done. Amen. But go after him. With all of your might, go after him as hard as you possibly can. And when you make blunders, turn and go after him again. Yes. This walk of faith is a walk that has to be worked out. Yep. And let us go on to know him. Amen. Let's pray.